Hello, friend! You are listening to Down the Yellow Brick Pod, an all-things Wizard of Oz podcast that will take you over the rainbow and down a yellow brick rabbit hole as we pull back the curtain on American culture's most visited fairyland. We are your hosts, Tara and MK, the royal revisionists of Oz and roommates in Queens, New York here to preserve the rustic emeralds of yesteryear and reimagine an Oz for today and future generations. This season, we will be deep diving with the melodies of the many musical adaptations of L. Frank Baum's original Oz book, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, taking up residency in the 1939 classic MGM film, as well as the 70s super soul hit, The Wiz. Visit our Insta at Down the Yellow Brick Pod for an accompanying scrapbook and fave space to connect, as well as our Patreon community where we continue the escapism and entertainment with Tiny Oz concerts, acoustic coffee shop covers and mashups, not sponsored by NPR, and other good witchy perks for each Patreon tier. Our Patreons are truly our MVPs. Consider joining our Oz fam today, it would truly make our day. May the world of Oz continue to be a bewitching escape in bewildering years, nostalgic and nuanced, and a magical refuge where two gals and queens can cross yellow brick roads with wonders like you. Yes, let's get into a little... Um... We thank, we thank you, you very, very sweetly. sweetly. We're doing it so neatly. <laughs> the vaudeville um We thank you very sweetly. NYC, so baby. Cute. I love those It's two. great. They hand her a bouquet. Yes, this is when she gets the flowers. Yeah. yeah, she's in her carriage now, drawn by ponies. I'm also obsessed with Glinda making the proclamation of the wicked old witch is at last is dead, and then she like just puts her hands up and it's just like little head, little head tilts to the side. She's just chilling. She doesn't really do anything the rest of the. She's this going scene. to live her best statue life. Just, I'm here in this gorgeous dress. That's all you need. to We know. are both obsessed with the moment where it's like bum 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 bum. Oh, and she's whenever just that standing is, there smiling. I, they're literally like. She's dead! Yay, death! And she's just chilling there. And it's it's a wonderful moment. You'll know it when you see it's it. It's so great. <laughs> she's just smiling. Smiling like nothing's this wrong. This was an easy day for her, I think. Oh, it's the best. Also, I was looking at pictures. I only thought of it because of what you shared. Myrna Loy hung out a lot on the <gasps> Munchkin Land set. Ooh. So I wonder if she was like staring at Billy Burke because she like, played her. In that uh, Zachfield movie, and what that oh maybe felt like for Billy. So Billy was like, mm, "I'm gonna like, be, I'm gonna own my power right now." <laughs> Thank you, Billy. All right, ding dong it out, girl. Ding dong, the witch is dead again. Play on words, witch, old witch. So confusing. It's um, so good. It's perfect. <laughs> ding dong. It's probably one of the songs we know the best, like from this. Composed by Harold Arlen. Lyrics written by E.Y. Harburg, as we already mentioned. In 2004, Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead, finished at number 82 in AFI's 100 Years, oh, wow. 100 Songs survey of the top tunes in America and American cinema. Now, here's an interesting note that I found quite fascinating. Um, going back to two of the actors who portrayed the little people. Ruth Duchini, she's one of the last yes. surviving actors to portray the Munchkins. Um, she passed away 
In 2014. She's so cute. She's adorbs. And she, <laughs> along with Jerry Marin... So Jerry Marin is um, one of the last uh, munchkins. Um, he passed away in 2018. The internet tells us that there are a few surviving munchkins still today who are not little people. They were little girls at the time. They were some of the children that they brought in mm-hmm. to sort of fill in. So Betty Ann Kane Bruno. It says is the last living it's munchkin. the last one. And this was reported in 2019. Wow. So this could not be accurate anymore. Right. We, but don't, we don't know. There was a lot of reports that when Jerry Marin passed, like, in the mm-hmm. headlines being last surviving Wizard of Oz munchkin. Mm-hmm. Um, then articles started coming out in 2018 and 2019 saying, no, right. he wasn't the last living munchkin. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. It looks like there's a New York Post article in 2018, the last remaining sharing stories. Yes, Bruno is the main contributor to wow. this article. I mean, that's wild. The like, first thing I see was... It wasn't a Disneyland. It was a depression. Ah! Oh, no. <laughs> First thing I see in the article. Oh, cool, no. Cool, cool. Yeah, she was seven years old. I think we've talked about wow. her before. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the reason I bring up Duccini and... <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Duccini and Marin is uh, they both made news when Margaret Thatcher died. Excuse me? And critics of the former British premiere... She was the she was the British premiere. They tried to propel Ding Dong the Witch is Dead onto the chart to celebrate her passing. And I will say that the song in 2013 charted to number two wow. on the UK singles chart in the aftermath of her death of Margaret of Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. I'm not gonna lie, I saw some Ding Dong the Prince is Dead. For oh wow! I mean, I think it gets used for that. Like we know this song so well, but apparently, Duccini and Marin uh, basically were upset that that was happening. Here's a quote: "Nobody deserves to be treated in such a way." When we were filming the movie, no one intended it to be used in that way. I am ashamed. I really am. Oh wow! So they I they mean, were not happy. I was going to say that. the song definitely had a revival on November 9th, twenty twenty. One hundred percent. Yeah. So it's just, I wanted to point that out. Like, this song, it's in our consciousness. It's in our consciousness. Forever. We sing it whenever someone <laughs> in power gets taken down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could sing it with Scott Rudin right now in show business <laughs> land, if yeah. anyone is following that. I mean, there's right. so much happening in our news. <laughs> you know, like, in our world. In like our world, everything. Right. I feel like everything is on fire right now. Yeah. Um. Yeah. This is a song I think that brings a lot of people celebration. Yeah, it's a very ha- well. That's the thing. It's that, jovial. That struck me while I was watching it. Is it's so jovial and happy, and they're talking about death, and someone literally was murdered. I know. <laughs> uh, you so. know this. I am so obsessed with the little soldier who rides the back. Yeah. Of Dorothy's carriage. Please, if you rewatch, yeah, go rewatch. Watch their little exchanges via just a little facial expression. She looks up to him a couple times, and he just has this cute little smile looking He's down very at her. Proud. It feels like he feels proud to be close to Judy Garland. Like there's some he sort of like, is. He's but, like, I've seen your movies. It's so cute. It's yeah, so sweet. Very, very. That's sweet. one of my favorite moments with all the soldiers assembling. Yeah, um, I love it so much. And then yeah. they take Judy. 
Tanker! On over to the mayor with his giant watch on his belly. Can I just say one thing? I And I said this when we were watching the scene. Mm -hmm. And if anyone knows, why are there munchkins who hatch from eggs? I I just don't understand. We'll get there and we'll have a whole debate. Hold your horses. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Tell us about the mayor. So first, like in my script, (laughs) this is how it's described. Three heralds come out of the building. The mayor enters after a fanfare from the trumpets, which I must admit, I want the emblem on those trumpets. I know. We need that. It's stunning. We're going to find it. He comes forward, followed by the barrister and the city fathers. (laughs) I know. That's the great part about having these scripts, is you hear their actual names. Yeah, their actual names. The mayor approaches the carriage and helps Dorothy down from it. They both move up the steps to the city fathers. I mean, this just cracks me up. But okay, so I call this whole exchange, like, Dorothy looking, like, completely, like... What's going on? In awe of everything that's happening. She does a great job. Her mouth is, like, just slightly open the whole time. Yeah. But this whole section is, like, finger point acting and releve. Dun-dun-dun-dun. And, like, little releves and little releves on my tiptoes. That's literally what it is. Relevé. And the cut to Glinda is just, like, the most exquisite the part of The best part of the film. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like, Toto being so close to the... <laughs> in this. It's just... It's all so good. I'm obsessed yeah, with it all. it's great. But yeah, this little exchange, the finger pointing, is perfect. And then we get the coroner. The coroner has arrived. Which we have the prop here. We have it. We have the prop. Bed. We have it with us. Um... It says, Certificate of Death, Name, The Wicked Witch of the East, mm-hmm. Residence, The Land of Oz. <laughs> I hereby certify that I attended deceased from May 6, 1938. 38, y'all. To May 6, 1938. I last saw her alive on May 6, <laughs> 1938. Death is said to have occurred on date stated below at... 12.30 a.m. 12.30 a.m.? Maybe Dorothy... What? What? That's confusing. I what? Don't... Does time just, like, not move? I don't know. Maybe time is different in us. Hmm. It's a little, it's a little hmm. like, interesting, right? Date of death, May 6. May 6. 1938. That's coming up. Signature, W.S. Barrister, M.D. W... What's his name? And Wesley Snipes. His address, Munchkin City. That's where they live. <laughs> it's official. This is official. We have it here. She's dead. She is undeniably. <laughs> She's undeniably. Dead. The vibrato of the corner. Oh, I just want to shout that out. It's always. Corner. It's always perfect. <laughs> the mayor says that this is a day of independence. Like, this might be a national holiday now. Yes. And then he says, "For it's a day, it's a day of independence for all the munchkins and their descendants. And the barrister says, if any. I guess they don't have descendants. I, I guess their line just ends here. I'm so confused. That is a... If any. If there's any of you out there, like, what is that moment? I don't know. And it's such a moment. But everyone looks confused. But this is when, like, the real hoopla starts. This is like, the big one. The mayor has approved. It's, like, we had our finger-wagging moment. Yeah. Glinda, it, there's literally a note in here. Glinda on the dace of the fountain. Is that what that means? Oh, the dice or whatever? I don't know how to say it. Glinda on the dice of the fountain looks on and smiles like, 
all these moments. So then we get Cheers. into M's favorite moment. <laughs> I was very impatient. Coming earlier. up, we have the pass by <laughs> of little munchkins sleeping in a nest, rising, rubbing their eyes as other munchkins frolic on past and sing to them. And then there's my munchkin, my munchkin spirit, who is, like, in her house, just, like, waving. waving in the background. Waving. Like, she just yes, woke up. She's like, what? Up? She's like, it's 1230. A.M. <laughs> and it's so bright outside. What is happening? But why do these munchkins live in a nest in okay. eggs? Okay, okay, Tell me your theory. Like, this always confused me as a child. Maybe this is, let's link it back. Were they For just all born? the munchkins and their descendants, <gasps> if any, they haven't hatched yet. And then they're born. And then they're born. I thought that as a kid, I was like, were they just born? I think so. Here's what <laughs> I... I have accepted so many weird <laughs> scenarios thrown what? at me from weird movies as a child. It's like, hey, guess what? This is happening. We are going to watch The Bluebird starring Shirley Temple, which is baffling. So, y'all, so The Bluebird, we will get more into details, I'm sure, with this at some point. <sighs> the Bluebird was Fox's response to The Wizard of Oz, but it just was a hot mess. Very interesting. <laughs> um, And it stars Shirley Temple. Yes. And it just kind of misses the mark in a, mil- a million ways. Um, And... Shirley is on, she was in that, like, age where she was no longer cute and, like, mm. like just becoming a teenager. Yeah. So there's, like, a lot of things happening in this movie. Um, but there's a weird land at the very end of the no. film. Of, oh, no. like, it's a land of children who have not been born yet. I ex- And they're all, like, in, like, Greek togas. That feels right. It feels That's like. That's what you're doing before you're born. It feels like you're looking at. <laughs> like Da Vinci paintings of children and like Weird. robes, but they're in this like palace and just like waiting for their parents to pick them. It's I like, accept it's it like this soul, right? It's like their soul, the movie Soul. It's so, so you're in the pre life, but, it, but it's know, not. But it's, it's creepier. It's creepier. Like there's a moment where like I think her name is I know Shirley's brother's name is like Meechin or something like that. Okay, that's sticking out in my brain. I forget what her name is, hmm. but. They, this little girl comes running up to them, and she's like, you're going to be my sister, but I can't stay the whole time. What? Excuse me? She's like, she knows she's going to die. That's scary. So she's like, okay. Like, it's just such a <laughs> okay. weird moment. But I'm just saying, I accepted weird scenarios okay. as a child. So then this... They're being born. Munchkins, <laughs> they're being born. They are in a bird's Munchkins nest. Munchkins hatch. And That's this is just learned. how they're born. Yeah. So take that as fact. That is fact. And the Munchkin soldiers are, like, rocking out. They have, they have a lot of coordination happening. Like, they have... Their arms. They boom, have arm boom, choreo. Boom, boom. Yeah. I also made M stare at the ones who stare at the camera <laughs> they, they do pass. point them out. They're so You're cute. You're good at finding them. I love that. <laughs> Looking at extras in the background, <laughs> especially ones who look right at the cameras. They're like, hey, movie. what's up? <laughs> yes. Okay. I love when they're when they're kind of out of sync. It's I'll, great. I also want to give a little shout out to Charlie Becker who played the mayor. He apparently at the Culver City Hotel where all of them were saying he was known as the chef. He made them yes, food all the Charlie. time. And that feels like so right. Isn't it fun when you do a show and people do take on the characters that they're yes. playing like a little oh, bit? Oh, it's so fun. It's yes. always nice when you join a company and like the lead is a real lead. Like, yeah. they have, like, a sensibility Ooh. of, like, organizing beyond yes. the show or have yes. this, like, come-togetherness energy. I always respect that. Yeah. That's a wonderful So much. Skill. That's so cute that he, like, organized yeah. for them. Get it. Okay, now we have the Lullaby League. The Lullaby League. 
In my script, they are the tiny tots. I have the three tots. The three tiny tots. Oh, Olga on Sunday. Olga! I love Olga so much. They're so sweet. The costumes are gorgeous. I never noticed that they... I knew they blew a kiss, but I never watched yeah. Judy blow one back. She does it back. It's very, it's very sweet. sweet. Yeah. I love their costumes. I love Olga. <sighs> I could talk about Olga all day. Olga forever! I just want to like, hold her. She's so freaking So, cute. so sweet. Um, do you know the debutantes were the singers of this? <gasps> no. The debutantes. They were a girls group at the time. Oh, wow. There were so many girls groups. I was trying to research to see if I could find something that they Ooh. sang together. I couldn't find anything. And but there was just a million. Goodness knows. Yeah, there were so many at the time. Mm-hmm. Goodness knows if they changed their name. Right. If they stayed around that long. Right. But they recorded the little bi-league vocals that then got mm-hmm. messed with. And that goes next to our lollipop guilds. The three tough kids. The three tough kids. They clog hop up to Dorothy, my script. <laughs> clog hop. Step to football change and step to football yeah. change and step to football change and step to football change and step to football change and step to football. How many times did they have to rehearse that? Because that looked hard. It also doesn't like end cleanly. They're like, yeah, it's kind of like, okay, and now stand here. Stand on the mark. That's rude when like you get choreography and it kind of like you're like, get to the next moment and you're like, how? Okay. I'm, I look messy. It doesn't make Help sense. Me. What you're asking me to do <laughs> is not going to look good. <laughs> but I just love the step shuffle ball change and step shuffle ball change and step shuffle change. You're really good at that. <laughs> yeah, this links back to what we were talking about with the little rascals arguing yeah. being yeah. potentially inspired or copied maybe. 100%. From there. Um <laughs> But did you know Jerry Marin, who's on center? I love the on center ones. On Olga, center. And I love Jerry. Olga and Jerry. Jerry trained with the same dance teacher that Ray Bolger trained That's crazy. with. That's I think crazy. that is crazy. I love those crossover moments. Let it be known, Tara has like six books. Yeah, One, two, six three, books. four, five, six. <laughs> Rocking it. Okay, this is what. I'm obsessed with in Jerry Marin's <gasps> book. Tell us. There's a whole piece in here by Steve Cox called The Lollipop Guild, Sweet Samaritans, or Half Pint Hooligans? Question mark. <laughs> also, can we just take a moment? I'll post this on the Instagram because it's just too cute. Their picture of the three of them as the three little tough boys oh my in costume. like. I believe it's just a wardrobe test photo that was oh, pre-production. My They're not yet in their prosthetics. They don't have any munchkin hair. But Jerry oh. Marin has his little lollipop, oh. and he looks so cute. And Jackie Gerlich, who is the one who's to the right, he is serving me looks. Like, hey. Just like he's he is so intensely smizing. It's just they're so oh I love them. Oh I love it. Okay. Here's a little piece here. Okay, there's simply no way to candy coat this theory. Was the Lollipop Guild there to greet Dorothy as the city's goodwill gang, or rather, were they representing the mysterious munchkin mafioso? What? Mafioso. Mafioso. The shorty sopranos. It all fits. An examination of some of the film's scripts, specifically the two-page mimeographed pages handed to, to the little actors, creating the citizens of Munchkinland, shows clearly that the Lollipop Guild were actually known as the Three Little Tough Guys, which I did not know Never knew that. this research. Yeah. Another studio reference has them as the, the Little Tough Boys. 
How ironic, especially considering that earlier that same year, a popular movie, here it is, starring the famous street gang known as the Dead End Kids, this is another one, aka the Bowery Boys, was released under the title Little Tough Guy. However, this band of inner city munchkins didn't wield baseball bats for protection. Their weapon of choice was a big swirly lollipop. Yes. No one was going to lick them. No and, one's going to lick them. Isn't that great? And oh, cons- that's cute. And consider their threads. Ever wonder why the lollipop guild dressed in ragtag street clothes with torn cut-off oh. shirts and shorts and mismatched garb? Yes. They were the Munchkin Society's <laughs> underbelly. Tiny thugs, even. Munchkin land possessed every sector of society, while the Lullaby League represented the city's sweetest, the lollipop guild represented the city's meanest. Not convinced? Watch the scene again. One of them in the scrappy blue emerges from a manhole and smoking no less. They were rebels. Oh my god. The type Cagney would have enlisted. There is no question that these were the Munchkinland's version of baby face gangsters. Real bad boys barking orders out of their crooked little mouths like Edward G. Robinson and Little Caesar. You see? Were they really small time hoods? There to strong arm the wicked witch if things went south? You decide. <laughs> but remember, they couldn't have been all bad if they were handing out all day suckers. <laughs> oh my Isn't that gosh. great? I love that. That was from Jerry Marin's book, Short and Sweet, The Life and Times of the Lollipop. The. Oh. The. The Lollipop Munchkin. The Lollipop. I'm into that theory. I, I saw the one come out of the, the ground. And yeah. I was like, <gasps> that is fierce. <laughs> It is and cute. so different than the cute lullaby league. That's right. Where like, welcome, and we're sweet. I love it. They're like, hey, Yeah, it feels like here. Hollywood gangster culture yes. a little bit. But I love that. Reading that was oh, such a trip. And yeah, that. we talked about how he wanted to keep the prop, the lollipop. They didn't let him. No one knows what happened to that prop. They did not care about these props back in the day, and it's so sad. And now he says, instead of lollipops, what he would say later in life was, I prefer cigars. Jerry <laughs> Which is super cute. Get it, Jerry. He has a whole little book that you can find Aww. if you're interested. It's just super sweet because he he became a spokesperson yeah. for the Wizard of Oz moving forward. Wow. I mean, the, the picture of him on the back is like in this emerald green coat and Aww. rainbow-esque plaid yeah, shirt. Yeah, him. Yeah. And he has a rainbow lollipop, swirly lollipop, and he has a Wizard of Oz ball cap on. Like, he embraced, 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 embraced his status as the lollipop. The lollipop guild. I think I will have now some regrets of not developing our podcast earlier because we missed the Oz Fest. We missed, yeah. That these folks were in attendance, too. I know. How special is that? I know. But they're on YouTube. I have watched quite a few. I need to go watch those. You could watch interviews with them live, which is very fun. And all these books. I'm so glad these exist. That's great. I know. Now we're here to we welcome (gasps) you in Munchkinland. We welcome you! So many Trollo laws. Can I, we have arrived. Can I share one little thing that I kind of knew but didn't know? This is an article that is confirming something I was curious about from Showbiz Cheat Sheet, hmm. saying that a group of actors who played the Munchkins signed on for the movie, The Wizard of Oz, just in time to escape the beginning of World War II, hmm. effectively escaping the Nazis, and in some cases, launching successful film careers. So this film became a refuge for people who may have potentially been persecuted if they had stayed. Oh my God. Which is wild that they left at the right time to not 
be present to World War II in Germany. That's that is wild. Nuts. I that feel like I've heard of that perhaps, but I don't, I didn't really know that. There wow. was a lot of um, non-English speaking actors um, mm-hmm. amongst the munchkins. Right. And you can notice if you do like look around, right. like there are some munchkins who are not mouthing mm-hmm. and I wonder if they spoke English or not. Right. Right. That's kind of beautiful, though, that that's a part of this story. That's wild. But wow, right? Yeah. I just wanted to put that with We Welcome You to Munchkin Land, because it feels like that is a good thing that The Wizard of Oz helped with. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Now we're getting to the big moment. This is the big moment. This is the big moment where we have to put, like, all stops on, because this is one of the biggest, like, known reported incidents of the Wizard of Oz, his history, now with Margaret Hamilton's first entrance as the Wicked Witch of the West. This is a humongous moment. This was a scary moment. And there's so much that went down. So if you're unaware, (laughs) hold your hats, because it's like pretty disturbing what happened. But I'm sure you're aware of some of what we're going to share. You've probably heard it. This is like one of the most famous stories of like behind the scenes Mm -hmm. Horror stories, I guess, this right? This is terrifying. All right, Em, you want to start us off? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Well, first things first. <laughs> Even the first entrance is actually, this is just a fun fact, not Margaret Hamilton. Betty Dinko. Betty Dinko. Love we love Betty. So Betty Dinko was Margaret Hamilton's stand-in, right? Or stunt. Yeah. Her stunt, stunt double. Stunt double. Yeah. And- so she would appear... She's actually on screen. She she makes the first entrance out of the ground with the fire and the smoke when they're like, tra la 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 bam. That's her. You can't really see her face. It's just her back. Um, and that's Betty Dinko. And she's a big part of Al Jean's history. Yeah, she's a um, big, big part of that. She was around in the 70s, and she contributed a lot to... She was in a lot of movies. Of this history. Oh, her story is fascinating. It's wild. She, like, didn't want to be. She did not want to be in this business. In this business at all. She had a, like, foul taste in her mouth yeah. from it. Yeah. She was. But she was in so many films. She was mauled by a mountain lion in the film or something, Y'all. right? Is that true? Yes. Yes. This woman is a survivor of, like, stunts gone wrong. <laughs> this poor woman. Oh, my God. Yeah, she came to California. Um, in 1927, and she wanted to go to chiropractic school (laughs) and move back to New Jersey. But then her family moved to California, and they were they were like, "Wait, you can't leave!" So she spent 11 years as a stunt double. She made 11 dollars a day typically, but on the days when she had a stunt to perform, her salary was 35 dollars. Oh, big money, big money! Woo! Yes, she was bit by a mountain lion in a Hal Roach comedy, and it was bad. Like she had like. Crazy amount of stitches. I don't imagine that being... I don't imagine that being not bad. Not bad. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so actually, even before we get to Margaret Hamilton's um, drama and terrifying experience, they were rehearsing um, this catapult of her onto the scene. And they were doing a rehearsal. She was standing in an eight-foot deep pit under the stage, waiting to be catapulted to the floor of the stage for the Munchkinland entrance. Like scalding hot, too. It's scalding hot. There's fire. (laughs) There's smoke. The top of the pit was covered by a thin piece of aluminum painted to look like the yellow brick road. The aluminum would be jerked away by an invisible wire, and she would spring like a jack-in-the-box onto the scene. There were smudge pots and long smoke tubes that would produce all the fire and the red smoke so that you can't really see her enter. 
During the last rehearsal, Bobby Connolly, who we mentioned earlier, was like showing people what to do and how to react above. Yes. And he fell through the pit's aluminum roof and landed on Betty Danko's shoulders. Like right on top of her. Ouch. Down eight feet. And she was just like. And he and was, like, embarrassed. He was so embarrassed oh. because he was up there basically being like, this is how to not get hurt. Yes, and then he is. literally <laughs> fell and hurt her. And laugh, she but. was like, okay. But then she went to the chiropractor yeah, and she okay. was like, I don't feel great. So, all right. This made the assistant uh, director. I think it made everyone super cautious. Like, maybe. I guess not enough because there was not a lot of caution in this. Mm. So, Betty Danko, that's the arrival. But Can I say one funny thing about oh, yes. Betty Danko? Please tell us about Betty Danko. She was miserable on set. Like, that's what I'm gathering from some <laughs> of the her makeup, stories. Because the makeup, right? She was like, it's I don't want to be Not because seen. of anything else. She was just, like, uncomfortable, and she was getting injured all the time. So <laughs> this is, she had all the, I mean, that the makes math sense. equation for equals miserable. That makes sense. In her favor. I would be like, I don't like this either. No, but one of her joys was Bobby Cochet. Bobby Cochet! Would go steal her blueberry pie from the commissary and bring it back to her. Bobby and Betty. That would be us. <laughs> that would be us. I would be Betty and you would be Bobby. Oh my God. <laughs> this is our new identity. Yes. I love that. That's really sweet. That's really sweet. Yeah. I, I, I read that, that she was like, I don't want people to see me in this makeup. I don't even know if they would love I would them love out, it. though. I <laughs> also think they like didn't like, love them you need wandering to around. Stay because people are going to be yeah, yeah. freaked out. <laughs> They scared These, like this poor they scared cat. Clark Gable. Clark, we can't ruin his <laughs> lunch. Make it. Okay, so everyone was apparently a little bit cautious, not enough. Um, so Margaret Hamilton, she is. This is after moving ahead, like this whole scene, and she's departing after that whole moment. And did they film that scene first, and then all this happened? Is that what we gather? From what I know, they filmed the whole scene. Okay. Um, that and then they post. were like, hey, we're going to do the, you the exit. Okay, okay. Um, so they had replaced the catapult with an elevator. Okay, so it's not a catapult jack-in-the-box anymore. <laughs> Betty Danko was kind enough to, like, supervise. And she would show Margaret, like, you're going to step on the elevator and it's going to go down. And Watch out for Bobby Connolly. <laughs> literally, watch out for that. And here's a quote from Al Jean's book. Betty said... I simply told her to flex her knees to absorb what might be a little shock at the bottom to get off. Oh, God. Shin splints. Shin splints, right? Because it was, like, really fast. It was apparently a really narrow pit at the top, like, barely Uh enough to fit your shoulders through. So it doesn't seem great. Margaret Hamilton said Mr. Fleming wanted it all done in one shot. That's why she had to exit because she has her line. She's, like, laughing, and then she leaves. So it was... Her direction, like, you're going to land on this little piece of flooring on top of the elevator. She was trained to keep her eyes fixed on this object that they mounted on the camera for her. (laughs) Billy Burke apparently was like, oh, it is much too hot to stand right here. And she, like, moved away. And Margaret Hamilton was like, I'm going to be literally in the middle of this. And you can't even handle it, girl? What's going on? love to cook up their drama. (laughs) Their drama. (laughs) So they did the take, and it was perfect. It went great. But apparently... Fleming wanted to do another one just in case. He was like, let's yeah. just like make sure. However, according to Margaret Hamilton, it was lunchtime. So ev- they took a break. Everyone went to lunch and they came back really sleepy and like 
kind of lethargic, I suppose. Oh, always rehearsals after lunch. <laughs> Never suck, good. Suck for like at least this is a not half good. hour, hour. Like you're in like yeah. the food comatose. I remember like after lunch at school, I could not concentrate, no, you know. Oh, it's nap time. So they were like, let's do the most <laughs> dangerous shot with fire. So they do uh, a couple attempts, like they're working out the smoke. And everything goes wrong, Everything's right? starting to go wrong and Victor Fleming's getting really impatient. Yeah. And he finally mm-hmm. is like. Just, like, do it or whatever. And who cares if her leg is in it or or there? And Margaret's like, um, I care. Like, I'm going to do it so that I am okay. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So finally, the final time, the time that is on the film, the smoke and the flames came too quickly. Uh-huh. Something went wrong. Her hat, Margaret Hamilton's uh-huh. hat and broom were on fire, and she did not know it. But she it had, happened. She went down, right? It happened. She went down. She kept her shoulders in. Like, apparently, in her mind, she was like, I did it. She and didn't even know suddenly, right everyone was, like, freaking out, patting her down, taking her hat off. And she was like, it went great. What are you guys all worried about? She was in shock. She had no idea. The flames scalded her chin, the bridge of her nose, her right cheek, the side of her forehead. The eyelashes and eyebrow on the right eye had been burned off. Her upper lip and eyelid were badly burned, and she had absolutely no idea. And here's, if you're, like, eating lunch or something, you should probably, like, take a break because this is kind of more gory. She, her hand, there was no skin on her hand from her wrist to her fingernails. It was just, like, gone. Here's what complicated it even further. The green makeup was toxic. Gold, there's two colors, gold and green. Gold is a sealer. Green is is toxic because of the copper. So the makeup artist couldn't just, like, smudge it off. It it was a really intricate process. She she recalls that she was in so much pain, and she wanted to scream, but that wasn't proper of, like, a Midwestern lady. So she didn't. As they took the makeup off. As they took the makeup off. off, Burnt skin. Took the makeup off. They oh, the Jesus. doctor oh, <laughs> layered her face with salve and basically bound her up. She said she looked like a mummy, and she said she had enough um, presence of mind to call. I think it was her. She had a nanny or a babysitter and Put say, "Hey, yeah. my son cannot see me like this. He's going to freak out." And here's the really crazy part: her friend came and picked her up. The studio did not, like, send her home in a limo or a car. Her friend had to come and get her. Mm-hmm. She left the studio on December 23rd, 1938, and she did not return for six weeks. They called her, though, like, the next day. The studio they? kept calling, <laughs> wondering when she would come back. Her doctor, Dr. Stan, picked up the phone and yelled at them. I don't want you calling up here again. She'll come to back. She'll come back to work when I get good and ready, not one second before. Furthermore, if she doesn't sue you, she, I wrote, she is a Google. That can't be right. She is a fool. It must be she is a fool. This is absolute negligence. There's no reason for this to happen. When she's ready to come back, I will call you. She didn't tell anyone that she was in any pain. She's mortified she's going to get fired. She decided not to sue because she wanted to work again. Haven't we all been in like some kind of situation? Not to this extent, but something where you're like, uh, okay, I guess I'll just like say it's fine. She knew that if she sued, she would be dead in the water with a exactly. career. Though that's just how the times were, and yeah. she didn't. She had a kid, and this was her livelihood. Yes. She I, had to you support can't him. Fault her in that decision making, but no. it just shows how toxic these environments were when someone is 
safety is completely trespassed. 100%. And I respect her so much. I mean, we'll get into it because then later on she's asked to do more stunts that we'll get into. And she's like, I have a son who relies on me for his sole support. I'm not doing anything again that will risk my life because she didn't return to work until February 10th. The nerves in her hand were still exposed. There's a story of Victor Fleming, like, shaking her hand really hard and being like, hey. And she's like, "Ah." and she told him, like, you're touching every nerve in my hand. And he's like, oh, sorry. Victor Fleming for the thumbs down. (laughs) For the thumbs down. And Betty Danko would continue on doing some of the stuff. Betty Danko still did more. And also got hurt. She also got hurt later on in the film. Yes. Mm -hmm. In with some broom stick action yeah we'll get to that with surrender um, Dorothy Land. Yeah. yeah and uh one last funny funny moment well just so we know they did because <laughs> this, this is so funny <laughs> that one this is so funny yeah not the right word um two things they did so just to say again they did use this shot for the film when you watch it like that's, that's what shot. you're seeing just you're keep that in mind like oh my god what was happening um, underneath the side can you only imagine oh my god um and Margaret also mentions that while she was away, she read the paper and there was photos and this whole article about Billy Burke spraining her ankle. But there was nothing about her. Her her very traumatizing, almost deadly experience. And I was telling you, last week I got pretty badly sunburned. (laughs) Nothing like this. And I was in pain. So I can only, when I was reading about this, I was like, oh, oh my gosh. I, 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 I can't. Yeah. I mean. The fact she returned is, is wild. And and the, the, what is interesting, I think I read this somewhere in one of the history books that it was expected though for Billy to be treated the way Billy was treated and for Margaret to be treated the way she was treated because of their like notoriety on like what they do. Like Mm -hmm. Billy Burke was a legend coming into this film. Yeah. Um, Whereas and Margaret, Margaret Hamilton was not. was not. And this is why I'm so done with hierarchy. I get it. There's yeah. going to be roles that are small. There's going to be roles that are bigger. Mm-hmm. It still doesn't have to be a hierarchy in how we exist and how we treat beings. them as a no. person. I was going to read something from here that I think just talks a little bit more about the sprain ankle situation. Okay. Makeup artist Charles Schramm recalled that prop man Mac Johnson also suffered burns mm. and required heavily solved bandaging for beating out Hamilton's flames with his bare hands. What? As makeup man Jack Young and an assistant worked so gingerly to remove Hamilton's wig and makeup. They had to like just like rip her clothes off. The copper base of which was toxic, if not cleansed <gasps> scrupulously. In retrospect, Stanton Baum recalled how crowded the set was, making it kind of easy to understand how the accident could have occurred. They were fighting so much for space just to get Margaret some air. One would think that MGM would have hushed up the incident to avoid any further negative press about its troubled Wizard of Oz production. This is after Buddy Epson. Right. Who was fired. He was fired. And, like, we've already mentioned before that, like, Mervyn LaRoy has would go on saying years after the film that Buddy Epson didn't work. Right. Buddy Epson didn't work on this film. Really? (laughs) What? No, No, he did. Um... Yeah, so Hedda Hopper put it in the papers in January 1939. Margaret Hamilton as the witch made her entrance through a trapdoor with flames, shooting up a shaft and had her face badly burned while doing so. So mm-hmm. that was reported. But here's here's what you were talking about, which I think, just to like 
presence it one more time in some details. Another Oz-related malady requires clarification. On March 10th, 1939, Billy Burke, who portrayed Glinda the Beautiful Witch of the North, tripped leaving the set, (laughs) (laughs) reported... It's just like she was walking. You know what I mean? But that's like, I'm not trying to be mean. It's like compared to what Margaret (laughs) went through. (laughs) Reportedly breaking two bones in her ankle and was hospitalized at Cedars of Lebanon for a week. Oh dear. Before being released with a cast. The incident was announced in the press at large with accounts of Burke's daughter, Patricia, chartering a plane after learning of the incident by radio, how cast and crew sent a huge bouquet of spring flowers to Burke's hospital room. Oh, wow. How Burke's lookalike double Estelle Etter. Welcome, Estelle Estelle. Etter. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. She filled in on camera as needed. The picture, however, was not The Wizard of Oz as has been previously reported, but Maiden Voyage. Oh, okay. So the picture that was reported in the paper was the Maiden Voyage, but it should have been the Wizard of Oz, I'm guessing. Right, because that's where the accident happened, but they were like, this is another movie. Yes. Oh, Lord. So, yes. Oh, Billy. So, wow. That's probably (sighs) one of the worst behind-the-scenes stories of the Wizard of Oz that we just touched upon. For sure. So now let's talk about the witch scene. So we have this big entrance. I think it's hilarious that the soldiers who are supposed to protect just like book it. <laughs> Peace. And bye. the mayor, the mayor just like runs like so We cute. are not protecting you. I also I think I mentioned this before. There's like a munchkin or two that like jump a little early. Yeah, but again, they're prepared. Probably they don't want to get scared. <laughs> yeah, they don't want to get injured. This scene is so good. It's wonderful. The red smoke. Oh, it's so good. It's crazy. And it's so cool. Like, back to that. Reminds me of after the tornado. Just, like, all this loud music and then silence. This is all this joyful tra-la-la-la-la-la. The most icon. Or the, <laughs> most <laughs> the most climactic moment. And then, boom. All of a sudden, her intro is fantastic and they all fall to their faces like i'm assuming this has happened before that she's shown up in munchkin land they're like we're invisible now yeah they're just like we bow down to you dorothy is terrified well she's chilling the main big thing that i think is so important in this scene is that she doesn't have powers here though she can menace she can't yeah she can't really she can't do anything which that's like somewhat of a protection i'm i'm guessing to all the munchkins but it's so fun to watch some of them like peeping up (laughs) to watch the scene yeah it was probably fun to be there for sure and just watching like judy take everything in and like be afraid of margaret hamilton i love what you said about billy burke earlier like protecting her with Mm -hmm. the wand i mean billy burke's like kind of living in this little she is living how do the shoes get on her Right. The ruby slippers going on to... Is that Billy? Because she's like, keep tight inside of them. She gets right into that business. Yeah, it's, maybe she made it happen. I feel like... We never yeah, get to know. There's like some like eye magic happening with Billy Burke. Like she's, she's like, There's like a little like glimmer. A twinkle in her eye. Yeah, where she's like, ooh, I'm going to mess Cast with a spell. her. Bam. Get the shoes before she can get the shoes. Right. It must, have, it must be Glinda's magic. It has to be. I think I love that moment when the socks curl up. (laughs) Oh, I love it too. They're gone. (laughs) They're gone. I love. Oh, rubbish. That's my favorite. Rubbish. 
You have no power. Her voice is so great. This is my favorite, though. You saw me when we watched it. The big on before someone drops a house on mm-hmm. YouTube and the crashing music and Margaret Hamilton being Ta-da. like, yes, <laughs> like her crashing so in on good. herself. <laughs> it's so it's good. It's so good. I also love Glinda's line. This really jumped out to me on this rewatch after uh, the Wicked Witch is like, give them back to me. Glinda says, keep tight inside of them. Their magic must be very powerful or she wouldn't want them so badly. She's like, girl, you lucky to be in this That's crazy. That's a, that's a little nugget of wisdom right there. Yes. And I love like how, I just love how tight she is with Dorothy. Like that protective I element know. really is so profound in this moment. Also yeah. like living for Wicked Witch of the West's black dress though. I it's really fierce. love it. Yeah. I've never noticed it before, but she looks great. She looks incredible. <laughs> also her broom is like my hair It's wild. My my hair after like not like I don't know, being in a desert. Stop. It is wild. <laughs> I'm obsessed with her it broom. It is wild. She hasn't on knotted that thing. She has not brushed it out. Ugh. That broom is still around, <laughs> I think broom. you could still get it. <gasps> Stop. I think it is a prop that has Stop. been sold and stuff. I think that's one that's Stop. still We can still get there. it. Let's pull together all of our money. I know. Just want something. <laughs> the iconic shot of the shoes, which you mentioned yes. might not be Judy's actual feet with yes. Glinda's wand. Like if you type, I feel like if you type wizard or ruby slippers into Google, you'll get this image. You yes. Know? It's the first it's shot. A little like bevel. It, I think is credited to Bobby Cochet in some, but Bobby. there are also like other actresses that may have it been used have been. for that. Because also remember Judy in school, all these other obligations. They're like, she had we'll to just do. get this shoe yeah, shot. They might yeah. have just grabbed somebody just to kind of fill in who had Judy's oh, shoe It's sign. iconic. It's so it gives it's me chills. So good. You know we'll get into those slip burns. I love it so much. The scene is great. I, <sighs> I just always am so invested in this little moment that I'm not really like criticize like there's no like critical brain no this is a present. wonderful moment yes even the visual of all up. these bright colors and then just the wicked witch flying in what is it i was wondering like what is glinda and the and the wicked witch's relationship i was just curious you know and i'm, I'm gonna be continuing to ruminate ruminate on it but i was like do they see each other often? Glinda Glinda's feels, very much dismissive of her. Glinda feels like Nancy Pelosi and like the Wicked Witch of the West is like <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like a Republican politician. Like oh that's my what it feels gosh. like. They're like being like somewhat respectful, but, but they also clearly like shade. Hate each other. Yeah. But they're yeah, she's being funny almost of like huh. She says, "You're so poo. silly." There's a yeah. line that is poo. poo. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's interesting and fun to think about. But iconic uh, line moment. Um, I'll get you my pretty and your little, little dog, dog too. too. I also like you, fine lady. <laughs> <laughs> you fine, lady. my fine lady. As for you, does. my fine lady. <laughs> that's like she maybe was trying to think of something else, and that's what came out. As for you, my fine lady. I love it so yeah. much. Yeah. Such a great line. I'll get you my... Ugh, it's just iconic. And then we have her go away, and that's when the injury <sighs> occurs. That is when it occurs. She's sort of maybe looking for that mark to make sure everything <laughs> is going well, and Gosh. she does get out, but we already know. A little bit of some drama. And then the munchkins get on up at Glinda's queue, and one of my favorite lines is the, what a smell of sulfur. <laughs> what a smell of sulfur. <laughs> little aside. Oh, just as we were talking about 
um, who these women would be today, like, you know, politicians on different sides of um, the right and left wing. But um, just going to go back to some John Fricky comments on like how he notes Al Jean's shaping of their dynamic, like Billy Burke and Margaret Hamilton. Yes. Maybe not being correct. Right. Um, Harmitz's interviews with, with Hamilton give like this overall impression that Margaret Hamilton was critical of Billy. This is all in the making of book. Um, like, you know, drawing amused attention to the decor of her dressing room, referring to her as the fairy lady, <laughs> this whole bafflement of the injury on set, tripping over some wires. Um, like what of her silly ditzy women would do in the studio, making a big deal out of that small incident, getting her an ambulance. Like, Uh, and none of this attention, of course, like we said, was, um, given to Hamilton when she almost was burned to death. Um, yeah. But John Fricky criticizes not Hamilton, but Algene Harmitz claiming her interview skews what were very likely harmless anecdotes taken out of context and record it without the reader knowing with what warm and kindly humor they were shared. That's a valid Mm, point. Interesting. John says, part of it is when you read Maggie saying those things, they don't come off with the charm with which she would say them in person. Oh, wow. I knew her well here in New York and we had mutual friends. I also think Mark Wahlberg just purchased her place like a couple years back. What? She used to live. (gasps) Don't quote me on it. Oh. She was as down to earth and sweet and funny about that sort of thing as she could be. In any case, knowing how important it was to Louis B. Mayer to be seen as the great father of his stable of stars, it is plausible that Billy, with all her past baggage of a life of great luxury, should be typecast even in an ankle cast as the studio whisked her away in a shiny limousine ambulance. Oh my gosh. Do you know how we take care of our stars, LB might have said. Hamilton was not a star, so sending her home with a friend and then badgering her about when she planned to return Mm. to filming was part of how a contract player was treated in the studio hierarchy we were talking about, something Hamilton understood. Wow. So that's a little... She just kind of, like, did it. Yeah, and that's a little interesting thing (sighs) that he points out, of though, that he doesn't think that there was this disdain that was maybe... um, misinterpret it right moving forward and not even That's at helpful. al jean's fault maybe just because like when you write something down yeah if you have a text it loses tone it's not the same thing yeah and course. billy seems like charming and silly so of course wow so now we have the last few lines with glinda <gasps> before she goes away before goodbye Bye, before goodbye. she leaves her on her own i'm always like glinda that's shady. She's like, I'm afraid you've made a rather bad enemy of the Wicked Witch. I know. <laughs> like, you did this. This is your fault. I know. Basically, you need to get out of Oz. And Dorothy's like, um, yeah, I'd give Your anything. favorite part is coming. Favorite part. Dun, dun. This is cute. My script. Dorothy says, I can't go the way I came. The munchkins all shake their heads regretfully. <laughs> <laughs> and Glinda says, no, that's true. The only person who might know would be the great and wonderful Wizard of Oz himself. The munchkins bow. (laughs) Dorothy notices the munchkins' reaction. The Wizard of Oz? Is he good or is he wicked? There's so many boxes we put people in. Is he this or this? The music is great. It gives me chills. It still does. I love when they put the title in the movie. Um, Yeah, my personal fave moment when I got to do the show. Yes, I remember Um, you saying that. Yeah. 
and it just even as a kid watching it you're like who's that you're very very curious the way they do it is great i also love judy being like when glinda asks did you bring your broomstick with you she's like no i'm afraid i didn't girl i've told you this (laughs) i am not a witch but i love oh i love the kiss I was going to say. I love the kiss. I don't think I ever noticed that. Is that a callback? I think it's a little to bit of a callback. To the Good Witch of the North? I think it's a callback, having the protective it's kiss. It's got to be. That little layer. They made a little moment. That of was course. really, really sweet. I also love, like, the re- repetition of, just follow the yellow brick road. She's like, just trust. Just do this. One thing. Yeah. Because sometimes we get in our heads. <laughs> What's going to happen yeah, in here? Yeah, yeah. She's like, stop, stop, stop. Just follow the yellow brick road. And yeah. I love that it's like such a tiny thing, but such a simple thing. It's follow so this little yellow thing. That's this, all you have to do. Oh, and my favorite moment is like when she steps onto this for the first time. I know. Those do, ruby do, slippers. Do, do, do. I mean, that shot is like The funny. red and the yellow. There's something about it that just, I, it activates something in my soul. Do you also feel like, hmm. Glinda's maybe said too much <gasps> at the end. Oh. She's like, I gotta go. I, oops. I said too much. <laughs> I should not have told you any of this. She does leave quickly. Well, as Dorothy mentions, people come and go so quickly here. I she really was like, I need to get out of here. Yeah. Oh. Very mysterious. And we get into our follow the yellow brick road and all of the, the, follow the yellow brick road. Yeah. <laughs> the very high pitch. High pitch. And then we get our fiddlers and then, coming in. This song gets stuck in my head yep. every day. And we've got some people who dance, some people who stand to the side we and have, wave. We have some, yes, we they have some They were chosen windows. to dance. We have window we have dancers. Window wavers. We have, yeah, it's, I love the fiddlers, though. They're the giving five us, little fiddlers. They're giving us Sasha to the right, Sasha to, to the, the, the left. left. They, to they the were right. very coordinated. Very, it was very, very impressive, yeah. Do you think... Um, I never noticed this. I this also seems... love the swishy <gasps> Swish, swish. Oh, anytime I get to swish my skirt. I know, it's great. Um, I This seems so obvious, oh, but I, I never noticed it. You're off to see the wizard. The wonderful wizard of Oz, like the book title. I never noticed that. Oh. That's like the book title. see the wizard. The wonderful wizard of Oz. Do you Oz. think they like... Yes, and I actually don't remember... In this film history, it's because The Wonderful was abandoned so much, I think, in prior um, adaptations that it would just made sense to keep leaving The Wonderful out. I don't think they had a conscious choice of it. I think it had been known in the later 1930s by that point as The Wizard of Oz rather than The Wonderful. Wow. That is like a little callback too. Yeah, I love that. Putting the title in this. I never really thought of that. There's and not a lot of lyrics in this song. A lot of because It's just because they were like, we're done. <laughs> but Dorothy's, uh, we're <laughs> done for the day. Like, we're done. We're done for the day. But Dorothy's iconic skip. That's that's a hard dance step. It's so cute, though, and Toto being best. beside yeah. her. And the She's arms waving. out. She's got her yeah. basket, her new shoes. <laughs> I will say the border is really close. Glinda made it seem like they're going to walk you, like, miles and miles to the edge. But she... This was like 10 seconds, and they're like, bye. <laughs> Have fun. Oh, yeah, they'll, lead, they'll take you to the border. <laughs> the border is the literally five feet the away. The border is a, a pebble's throw, <laughs> throw away. <laughs> and the backdrop, I just got to mention that. 
Oh, I don't think I shared this at all yet. That was a really sweet moment that I think Jerry Marin shares in one of his memories. Mm. Uh, Billy Burke, um, when they first met her, she did autographs with them. And there was a munchkin who was deaf Mm. that she signed with. Billy Burke did? Billy, like, wow. One, two, three signed with them and had a conversation wow. via sign language. And That's cool. I think Jerry says he was like impressed that she took time and knew. Yeah. And I thought that was a really sweet moment mm. that I was like, oh, I never heard anything about these kinds of stories. Wow. Yeah. Didn't really hear beautiful. about that. Yeah. She spent a lot of time getting to know the munchkins at the beginning, too, and being just. She's a legend. She is. Uh, that seems like her. Think of like who that would be now. I feel like, like it's Julie Mer- Andrews, it, Meryl Streep, Julie Andrews Land. Yeah. It's that like I will be friends with everyone, but also like you can't get too close, right? There's an, a, there's like a golden. She'll light make you feel like your best friends, but they're literal angels. <laughs> so just now to get into some of the Munchkin. Um, misconceptions question mark Mm. so this is a this sums it up pretty nicely this is in the road to us we don't have to get too too into it um but on occasion the purported antics of a few of Oz's little people came into question, perpetuated most famously by Judy Garland herself. Garland referred to a lot of them as little drunks, claiming the munchkins Mm. got smashed every night as she told Jack Parr, which we talked about in 1967, that was two years before she passed. Um, similarly, uh, screenwriter Noel Langley bluntly summed them up as the wildest little whoring rascals mm. you ever saw. I think Mervyn Leroy maybe added some stuff onto that too in Al Jean's book. But uh, Noel would also say they had to put up guards around the chorus girls to keep order on the set. So I don't know if they were all just like mm. saying these things to cause a riot. Cause headlines, yeah. Yeah, who knows? And there was had you have you heard of the Chevy Chase film in 1981, Under the Rainbow? That was no. like a whole spoof of like the Munchkins debauchery. No, it did poorly. It did not do well. Never heard of that. So there is that. It was all about the havoc they wreaked in hotels and everything. Oh, no. So there was that. Um, but yeah, the Munchkins got this bad rap moving away from the film, and then this is the thing we'll we'll just presence it because we can't not yeah. share it. But this was something that was reported much later in life. So I'm reading this from a Guardian article. Mm. Judy Garland sexually harassed by Munchkin co-stars on Wizard mm. of Oz set. Posthumous memoir by Garland's ex-husband Sid Luff claims teenage star was groped by actors on mm. set. So here is the quote. They would make Judy's life miserable on set by putting their hands under her dress. This is from his book, Judy and I, My Life with Judy Garland. The men were 40 or more years old. They thought they could get away with anything because they were so small. That's the main quote. Luff passed away in 2005. And this kind of continues on just, you know, bringing up other quotes like Mervyn Leroy saying they had orgies in hotel and police on every floor. I remember reading this. Mm -hmm. And then when I... I think I've read more accounts from the munchkins. There were like a few munchkins who maybe had a reputation for drinking and that's always going to happen. We've been in, you know, if you're on the road, (laughs) there's that's going to happen. Yes. Oh my gosh. Jerry Marin. Jerry disputed all of this. And he was like, how can you get drunk on $50 a week? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, Marin is one of the people who spoke up 
later down the line wow. saying there were a couple kids from Germany who like to drink beer. They drank beer morning, noon, and night and got in a little trouble. They wanted to meet the girls, mm-hmm. but they were the only ones. Right. So this is like the conflicts now of these stories. Who knows what image is trying to save what image? It's very right. unclear. So we're just mentioning and it's so it. much later, you know. Yeah, and I don't know. Sid Luft was also really like always trying to make a, a smashing sensation and like say something. That feels right. Yeah. make money off of things so i i don't trust him so yeah I, and like judy never said that she talked about louis b who knows i also would not be surprised if this was true with like one munchkin or something i don't think yeah they make it sound like it's like all of them and they were terrible right perhaps it happened with one one person right right well many but. of the munchkins did hang around hollywood after yeah um, and some Which is had, cool. Yeah, like some had really great careers afterwards. Um, but I will read something Ray Bolger said that actually made my heart just go... Mm, Ray! In such like a oof way. I'll read it in a second. But many of them were stand-ins for child actors. Right. Because that yeah, they was made their living. a benefit for the studio, too. They could use them on mm-hmm. normal working hours, yeah. all of that. Um, yeah. And we were saying, too, the Munchkin Land set... Um, <gasps> had this amazing party that happened before they tore oh, it down. I wish we were there. We're like all MGM, like their top stars, their top creators. The kids don't remember. Yeah, they all got to bring their children. Like <laughs> no one remembers this party, but they had a huge yeah. party on the set before they tore the set down, which. <sighs> Can you imagine? Just like, I get Partying chills. I get Munchkin chills even Land. thinking of being at that studio. I partied on the Pips Island set. Yes! I remember <laughs> it's that. It's actually very, very bizarre to, like, party on the place Where you've been you, working. Where you, like, work that with is, like, children? Yeah, that's, like, all about, like, purity with children. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get smashed! Oh, so odd. Okay, so here's Ray Bolger's quote. Ray. This is from the making of book. Okay, so this is Ray Bolger just talking about working with little people throughout his career in vaudeville. And then into um, film. The little people were not accepted. They were Mm -hmm. segregated because of their size. They couldn't run as fast. They couldn't dance the same way you did. Dancing with one would be like dancing with your daughter who was five years old. Mm -hmm. They were considered not to be as bright as other people, even though some of them were terribly bright. So they figured that they were underdeveloped, that they were freaks. Mm -hmm. That made a kind of sad world for them to live in. And yet they were brave people. They made out very interesting quote mm, like i right. hear the time like i hear the time and right. this yes um and i also see like i have respect for these people right because he worked with and i see them a lot of people. little people yeah in vaudeville and yeah there's not he wasn't dehumanizing them which i think is what people do or it's like they're just making them their like other children. or their children yeah, their or children. their you know, meant to be paraded around. It's like, no, they're people. They have right. just as an intense interior life as anyone else. That's a beautiful quote. Yeah, I thought that was a really Ray. sweet quote to put on with the munchkins because I am yeah. really enjoying I mean, I'm nowhere near done. I have Jerry's mm. book and I have this other book that's a weird book called, <laughs> I mean, it looks like it's from the 70s. Oh I really don't gosh, know. Oh my gosh, it does, this cover. I'll tell you the year this book was made. 1989 was the mm. copyright, but there's a 1966 <laughs> in here, too. So maybe oh, that was yeah. the first edition. The first one. Okay. And they added on. And it's dedicated to Mickey Carroll, um, who was one of the munchkins. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's basically 
just a book that collects stories and also honors <gasps> the Munchkins who were passed. Oh, who have passed. I would love to look at this. It's really sweet, but it's it's so it feels so archaic. This right. Book. <laughs> It still smells smells like the old bookstores. Oh, I love that. It's really, really sweet. So that's been nice to flip through. Just to, I think it's so nice to learn about these people who maybe didn't get the, um, you know, they were unnamed. They were all the credit. Yeah, like here's my my name. I'm so interested in the people who are not credited. Yeah, now especially because I know it doesn't mean anything. One hundred percent less than. But they have this crazy experience to remember. And just going off of that, the Munchkins received the 2,352nd star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 2007. Uh Uh, Seven of them attended the event. Honorary Mayor of Hollywood Johnny Grant presided over the ceremony. Guests included Judy's son Joey Luft. The seven uh, little people who were on hand to accept their award included... Mickey Carroll, yeah. Ruth Duccini, Jerry Marin, Margaret Pellegrini, yes, Meinhardt Robbie. I think it's Rabe. Rabe. Yes, we. I'm actually shocked we haven't talked about him more because yeah. he was another big, presence. big, big one. Yeah, Carl Slover and Clarence Swenson. The, they arrived to the ceremony via a horse of a different color, drawn carriage, led by the Hollywood High School marching band. I think I remember oh. seeing, I've seen like photos from this for sure. Oh, yeah. From this yeah, yeah. day, and it looks so glorious. So wow. they do have a star on the on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, which is really cute, really special. There is so much to just bask in in the Munchkin land scene. Oh, visually, <sighs> spiritually, metaphorically, <laughs> like there's this scene is one of the most iconic scenes in this film. I like agree. Top three. <laughs> I agree. You know, I think the Munchkins may be the most famous extras. Yes, to ever. Exist. I would say. Oh I yeah, would, I would to say ever. That. Yeah, yeah. As I agree. a group, I think they're. Yeah. I mean, how many movies can you think of where you're like, I want to meet a Munchkin, like right. that, that equivalent, like to an extra. Like, That's an extra. Maybe a stormtrooper or something, right? Like, in Star Wars world, but that doesn't feel right. It's still, yeah. People. These, it's like we recognize them. Yes, we you see recognize them. them. Yeah, their voices are iconic on the film. Like it's just, even though they're not their voices, right. but it's just like their persona, ah, their characters. Yeah, I can't think of anything else that has that. So yeah, that's really special. Life yeah. will become simpler for our research. Ah, <laughs> yeah, for a As bit. We um skip on oh out of Munchkin Land. Now we're gonna get to meet um <laughs> my boyfriend, Legends of Vaudeville. <laughs> my boyfriend, M's boyfriend. This was a blast. Oh my god! Thanks for making it through. Thank this you for making with it through. I, I guess this is part eight of Monkey Land. Where are we now? Part twelve. Thank we'll you. See. Thank you for listening. We have a ball. Yeah. Unearthing all this, this is so material fun. and just feel like we're really like finding the gems yes. in the yellow brick road, the sparkles in the in, in the shoes, in the road, all yes. of it. It's just so much fun. So yes. thanks for being here with us. You know where to find us, and we will see you next week in the cornfields. See ya.
Thank you so much for listening to Down the Yellow Brick Pod. If you are feeling frisky with your fingertips, scroll on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a glowing rate and review. Each person who leaves us a review will be entered to win our end-of-the-season Oz giveaways, including a gift basket of musical adaptation goods, which, trust me, you aren't going to want to miss. All previous reviews will also be considered in our entries. We see you. Until next time, catch us at Down the Yellow Brick Pod in our Technicolor scrapbook on IG and partying on our Patreon. Gratitude to our patrons of present and future for making more magic possible. Let's escape to Oz soon, okay? TTYL!